once again, thank you for the, for the invitation to be here with you and to have the opportunity to bring God's word to God's people on this, on this Lord's day. Um, now let's go to prayer once again, asking the Lord to um, help us through his spirit so we can understand and obey his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for bringing us together in your day. And now that we have the opportunity to hear your word, I ask that you may illuminate our hearts and minds through your spirit so we can understand it and, and follow it and obey it in gratitude for what you have done in our lives. So Father, edify your people, edify your church through this sermon and receive all the glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As you probably know, there are several psalms that are written using an acrostic structure based on the Hebrew alphabet. And Psalm 111 is one of them. In this form, each line starts with, uh, with a, successive, a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And since that's the way the original author wanted to present this psalm, I will follow his example and preach this sermon, this text, using another acrostic that will help us understand and, and better remember this beautiful psalm. And here's the acrostic word that we're going to use throughout the sermon. The word is praise, okay? Praise. Uh, so what I want to do is begin each um, letter of this acrostic uh, using the phrase praise the Lord, okay? So let's, let's begin. Um, as we see um, this, this psalm, I hope that you guys can follow along, um, maybe writing some of the notes there. Uh, so let's see what the psalm teach, teaches us this morning. So praise the Lord personally. So the letter P is for personally. Now, verse one, we read, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Now, this verse begins with a doxological imperative, or as we commonly, commonly know it, a call to worship. In Hebrew, this call to worship is the word hallelujah, which literally means praise Yahweh. Now, that word praise is in the you plural. So it's really uh, you all praise Yahweh. Now, the psalmist not only calls the people to worship, but he also sets the example. And he says, I will give thanks to the Lord. Now, these words not only show us obedience and that a form of praising and worshiping God is through thanksgiving, but it also shows us that worship is an individual action. This means that my parents or my wife or the elders or any other person cannot, cannot worship on my behalf. Praising God is an activity done personally. It's you singing to God. It's you 
praying to God. It's you hearing his word. It's you being active in worship in response to God's call. Now, if you notice, this individual act of worship in response to God's call is followed by these words. In the company of the upright in the congregation. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I will, I will praise God and I will thank God and I will do this with others. This is, this is significant because it teaches us that there is a moment where worship is both personal, you do, you, you're doing it personally, it's both personal or individual and corporate. Now, in those days when the song was written, that type of worship was done in a temple. In different uh, feasts, Passover, Tabernacle, there were different um, uh, feasts where people were gathered. They were summoned to praise and worship God. They went and they personally, individually praised God, but they were doing that worship in a context of community. So those, in those days, that worship was done in the temple. Now today, this is done through Christ, the true temple, primarily on Sunday worship. Of course, we are also to praise God and give him thanks in other type of context, private worship, when you're at home and you're doing your personal devotionals, through family worship. Yeah, that's all true. But from this psalm, as well as other passages from the New Testament, we learned that there should be a time for public, public worship where people praise God individually, but in the context of a church, in the context of community. So the only way that we can really obey this command to praise God in the congregation is by coming and being part of the congregation. There's no, I will praise God in my house by myself and think that that is, that is a, a good way to replace community worship, that's not possible. The psalmist says, hallelujah, come worship God. And then he says, I will do it. And I will do it in the congregation. I will do it with others. So church, every Lord's day, praise privately, yes. Praise with your family, yes. But also praise God personally with the assembled congregation of the upright. So this psalm begins with that, with praise. So praise God personally in the context of community. Now this psalm also teaches us to praise the Lord by remembering his great works. So the R in our acrostic is for remembering, remembering. Verses 2 through seven, say, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people, the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. Verse seven, 
the works of his hands are faithful, are faithful and just. Now, as you probably noticed, the word that gets mentioned here several times, five to be exact, is the term works. And of course, the purpose of this repetition is to call our attention to the deeds, to the acts of God so that the, the Israelites, as well as, uh, as well as us, would meditate on his works, either in creation, providence, or redemption, and join the psalmist in praise to God for all that he has done. In other words, these verses teach us to follow and focus on the works of the Lord. The Israelites were to remember the mighty works of God, things like the Exodus, or to be more specific in verse five, to remember the miraculous provision that he uh, provided to them in the desert. And in verse six, to remember when God gave them the inheritance of the nations or the promised land. So just think of what the psalmist is now teaching. He's teaching us a way to praise God. How can we praise God? Well, one way is by remembering what he has done for us. James was talking about it in the, in the, um, in the children's message a couple minutes ago. How, what did Christ did? He did something. He died for us. So the people of Israel were to meditate, were to think and to remember the mighty works that God has done in their history. Specifically here, like we mentioned, where the provision, the food that he provided in the desert, those miracles that you read, that you read in, in the book of Numbers. And of course, the result of the Exodus, which was to bring them to a promised land, is there, the inheritance of the nations. They were to, be, to recall all these mighty works and to praise God for all that he had done. And as we, the church of God, we also have the same command. We are to meditate on all that God has done through, to us through Christ. So as we remember what the Lord has done, that meditation will lead us to be in awe and exclaim like the psalmist did in verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. Just think about it. When you begin to think of what Christ did on the cross, when you think about the, the miracle of the resurrection, the different uh, resurrection appearances, the ascension of Christ to the right hand of the Father, when you begin to meditate and study, like, like, like the, the, uh, the text says here, begin to meditate, study, and remember all this, something will happen. This will lead you to reverence, to awe, to praise. And you, will begin, and you will begin to say, praise God. Praise you, God, for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. So church, both privately, that is in your devotional life, and with others, public worship, let's remember God's works and give him praise for what he has done for his people.
This brings us to point number three, letter number three. Praise the Lord for his attributes. So the A in our sermon acrostic is for attributes. Now, this is very closely related to the previous point. If we look to, uh, if we look to verses two uh, through seven, we will see that God's works are ultimately a manifestation or display of his character. In, in other words, his deeds show us who he is. For example, from his acts, we learn that he is great, verse 2. He's also full of splendor, majesty, and justice, verse 3. We also learn that he is wondrous, he's gracious, that he's merciful, verse 4. That he's faithful and eternal, verse 5. That he's powerful, verse 6. And again, faithful and just in verse 7. So in these um, verses that talk about the works of God, as we meditate on them, that will inevitably lead us to look to the character of God and see that all these works in reality are just giving us a taste of who God is. He's powerful. He's merciful. He's great. He's eternal. He's faithful. He's full of majesty and splendor. He's a God of justice. And if we move to the second part of the psalm, we see God displaying his attributes in his law and in redemption. For example, we learn that God is trustworthy, verse 8. And in verse 9, we learn that God is a covenant-keeping Lord and that he's holy and that he's awesome. Verse 9. So church, as we meditate on God's works, either on creation, so today that you, are, that you guys are going to go to a park and have a picnic. I don't know what park. I don't know what's going to be around there. But as you see and, and look around, just meditate on that creation that the Lord has um, blessed us with. with. So as you, as you meditate on those uh, works of creation or as right now we meditate on the works of redemption, Christ dying for us, for our salvation, or as we meditate on God giving his law so we can know what to do. As we do all that, let's praise him for what those deeds show us of his character. So let's praise him for his attributes. Praise him for his attributes. This psalm also teaches us to praise the Lord for his inerrant law. So the I is for inerrant law. Let's look at verse 7b and verse 8. It says, all his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Now, for the sinful heart, both when the psalm was written as well as today, the law of God is not something to give God praise. I mean, people that are not believers will never say, praise God for the law that he has given us or things like that. And this is true back in the Old Testament 
is true now. People that do not know Christ, the sinful heart, will never see the law of God as a good and beautiful thing. But as we said earlier, God's law reflects his character. In other words, since God is trustworthy, true, and perfectly upright, there's no surprise that the psalmist says the same things about God's word. So if God is trustworthy, then his words or his law is also going to be trustworthy. Now, in, in, in this day, um, in age where we live, when many people say all things, all types of things, and sometimes those things are not true, and sometimes you feel uh, uh, that hesitation to trust in someone's word, well, you don't have to feel that with God. He's trustworthy. So everything he says, his law is also uh, trustworthy. You can trust on everything that he has said to be true. And since he is the true God, then his word will also be true. And since he is the, up, the perfectly upright God, then you can be totally uh, sure that in his law, you will find the upright life that we ought to live in gratitude for all the things that God has done for us. So this is wonderful. It is a wonderful gift of God to his people. His law is a wonderful gift to us. So every time that you read privately or hear God's law in Sunday worship, you can consider yourself blessed that you have his law written down in, those, in that Bible that you hold every, every Sunday which was something that did not happen for many from, from, from the past. People had to memorize uh, parts of the Bible to teach to their kids. They have a copy of the, of the, of the Torah or, or any other parts of the Bible. They need to memorize and teach it to the kids. But now you have the privilege to have it in your own hands or in your phone or whatever and teach that to other people and also read it for your own benefit. So here we have another reason to praise God. Why should we praise God? Well, we should praise God because what, what he has done is marvelous, is, is awesome, is great. We should praise God because by meditating and remembering his works, we actually are seeing uh, a display of his different attributes. But we also should praise God because he has given us a gift. And that gift comes in written words. And those words are the Bible. Those words are his law. So, church, let's praise the Lord for his inerrant law. This takes us to the S in our acrostic praise. The S is for saving covenant. Saving covenant. In verse 9, we read, He, God, He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now here the psalmist is teaching us an important doctrine. That redemption comes in the context of covenant. Redemption comes in the context of covenant. That is one of the promises, or to be more precise, the essence of the promises of the covenant, the covenant of grace, 
is forgiveness. It's redemption. It's being God's people and he being our God. Now, if you remember, we said that um, the psalmist was uh, given a, he gave some of the things people were to remember. God gave them food in the desert. God gave them the promised land. But for some reason, the psalmist uh, in that, in those first verses, he did not mention the Exodus explicitly. And I think the reason is because he wants us to understand that redemption for them um, uh, typified in the in the Exodus and for us in the in the cross of Jesus Christ, that is central in the works of God. So redemption that comes in the context of covenant is one of the greatest gifts that God's people can enjoy. And of course, when we think of redemption, we think of someone paying a price, someone paying for someone else. In the old covenant, those someones or some things were animals. They were slaughtered, but all those were pointing forward, pointing forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When that Friday, Jesus was going to be on the cross paying for something and he was paying for our redemption for our forgiveness for you to have communion with god and in that communion have true happiness and have true meaning of life so saving so the saving covenant is just another word to say that god is a god is a god that fulfills his covenant promises specifically he fulfills and gives us forgiveness because someone gave his life for that to happen. So we praise God personally in the context of community. We praise God for what he has done. We praise God for his attributes. We praise God because he has given us his law, his word. But we also praise God because he has given us a savior. He has given us a savior. His name is Jesus. And if you do not know him, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. He came, he died, he rose again, and he's the only one through whom we can have salvation, redemption, and forgiveness. Now this takes us to the last letter in our cross, in our acrostic, which is the letter E. So praise the Lord with exemplary living, exemplary living. The last verse of this psalm says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who, all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. I think this is fitting that the psalm ends with, with, uh, uh, with, with, with how we should live um, because implicitly we can say that once we are redeemed, once, that, once we are saved, then the question becomes, okay, Lord, now that I am yours, you are mine because of the covenant, how should I live? 
But the, the, psalm, the psalmist says, okay, praise him through an exemplary li life. How does that life um, show? Or how does that, what does that mean? Well, be, it all begins with wisdom. It begins with fearing the Lord. It begins, it has to do with practicing his law, obeying his law. So the way and the reason why we obey God is not because we want to achieve redemption. We couldn't do it. The reason why we obey God is because we are so grave, grateful. We are so full of praise of what he has done for us in Christ that, we, that now we want to say, Lord, I want to fear your name. I want to live for you. I want to obey you. So that's the, base, that, that's the basis for our obedience, that we have been accepted through Christ in God's sight. So like I said, it's fitting that the psalm ends with, with, our, with, with practice, with, with how we should live, because that will bring the correct perspective on salvation. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We receive it by faith. And once we are faith, he helps us to practice his law. He helps us to be wise in our decision-making. He helps us to fear him more and more. And as we do that, we praise him. We give him glory. So Psalm 111, originally an acrostic that followed the Hebrew alphabet, is a psalm that focuses on praise, giving us different reasons, different ways to give God praise in thanksgiving. Some of those ways are uh, seen throughout a normal worship service. When you come, you hear God's calling to worship, and you respond with, 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 with worship, with praise, and then you come and, and you confess your sins, and you confess your sins. Why? Because there was a Lamb of God who died, who brought us that forgiveness. And once that you are sure of your forgiveness, then more praise comes into the heart of, of his people. And once you uh, give God praise for what he has done, his instruction kicks in, like, the, like here we have the, the law of God. And once we hear the law of God, the last part of the worship service and of this psalm is, okay, now that you have heard it, go and do it. So that's my exhortation for you. The law of God is a gift. His word is a gift, but it's not only to be admired, but also to be lived. Lived and practiced and obeyed in gratitude for what God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And we unite our voices to the heavenly saints and angels who adore you and worship you and praise you for who you are. And now God, help us as we are close to finish this time of worship, public worship, I ask that you may help, help us be faithful and obedient to your law. It is trustworthy. It is right. Your law is good. Help us follow your moral law. Enjoy 
and in gratitude for what Christ did for us. In his name we pray.